Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Thiefstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to the Canon Cast, a weekly podcast from the Canon, an SB Nation blog dedicated to your Columbus Blue Jackets. I'm your host, PD, and we've got a special treat for you this week. A little bit later in this episode, I'll be joined by one of the writers from Matchsticks and Gasoline. That is the SB Nation blog dedicated to the Calgary Flames. Uh, I wanted to reach out to them to uh, learn a little bit more about Johnny Goudreau and Eric Goodbranson from someone who's you know, watch them play last year. Um, and I got some interesting insight there. Uh, Erica Branson, you know, that I don't think very much of, uh, of that signing, but um, I got some information about what are the things that he does do well. Um, and there are some ways that uh, if Brad Larson studies what Daryl Sutter did, that good Branson could be a useful player. I think he's still going to be an overpaid player, but could contribute there on the third pair, on the penalty kill, things like that. Uh, and I also got some more information about Johnny Goudreau's game outside the offensive zone. What can he do uh, getting the puck up through the defensive zone and the neutral zone? And, and also just to get the perspective of what that roller coaster offseason was like for Calgary fans with Goudreau leaving, Matthew Kachuk wanting out, but then being able to replace them with the likes of Jonathan Huberdeau, Mackenzie Weger, Nazem Kadri. Uh, they're one of the more fascinating teams this offseason. So uh, it was a really great conversation. I hope you enjoy that. Uh, first, though, before we get to the interview, I wanted to discuss the 
Traverse City Prospects Tournament. The Blue Jackets went two and one. Uh, one of those wins was a regulation win. One was an overtime win. So, you know, last week I talked about really looking forward to seeing Kent Johnson and Kirill Marchenko. They played as advertised, dominated. Marchenko had a goal in each game, including the overtime winner on Sunday. He also led the team with 10 shots on goal. Kent Johnson played center, looked very comfortable playing the role. Uh, not great in the faceoff circle, but otherwise did everything else you want from your center. Those guys were just, they were playing at another level. They play the game fast, really skilled passes. Um, sometimes maybe too many passes, but in general, very happy to see them play the way they did. Uh, David Yurchek, he tied Marchenko with shots on goal, which is pretty impressive. Uh, he has a booming slap shot. Uh, I was sort of so-so on his game. I mean, I think he was fine, but... Uh, he did not necessarily look NHL ready to me, whereas Johnson and Marchenko clearly look like they are ready for NHL action. Um, the defenseman that actually really impressed me was Denton Matejchuk. He was our other first round pick this summer. Man, he is super skilled. He is a great skater. Um, you know, people had raved about his speed when he was drafted, but it's not just the speed; it's just how smoothly he moves on the ice and is able to skate around the opponent um, to skate really well, even with the puck. Sometimes players aren't as fast or as mobile while also retaining control of the puck, but he was able to keep the puck while skating around the, uh, the opponents. Very impressive. Um, you know, I think due to his size and stuff, he's still a couple years away, but I do see why the scouts thought so highly of him. Uh, Another player on the forward side that stood out was Jordan Dumay. Um, again, another undersized guy, not necessarily a great skater, but man, he has a nose for the net. It just seems like he was always uh, active in the offensive zone, always involved on plays. Uh, started on the second line, scored two goals in the first game, playing from that second line. Um, got to play a little bit with Johnson and Marchenko when Michael Putia went down briefly with an injury. Um, Dumay scored a tying goal late in the game on Sunday. Again, another guy that is a couple years away, but I'm, I'm really interested in his game uh, because, you know, he scored over hundred points last year in the queue in just 58 games. He doesn't have all of the physical skills there, but he knows how to get the puck on net. And, you know, I think that's, that's really intriguing. Something that is, worthy of giving him a longer look. Um, I wrote on Monday, I recapped the tournament and highlighted some players that I liked. And I made the comparison that I think he could be like another Bjorkstrand. Again, another, another guy that is not super big is not super fast, but somehow gets the job done. So definitely keep an eye in the next few years on Jordan Dumay. Also coming up this week, uh, Jackets training camp gets started. The players report on Wednesday for their physicals. They hit the ice for the first time on Thursday, and then their first preseason games will come on Sunday. There's actually two games that day. They are splitting the roster in half um, and playing the Penguins, a game in the afternoon in Pittsburgh, a game in the evening in Columbus. Uh, we will have uh, a preview and open thread for those games and recaps of them. So, uh, be sure to follow along on jacketscanon.com. We'll also have our 
uh, position battle re- uh, articles coming up uh, starting on Wednesday. So be sure to check that out. And uh, after the break here, we will get to our interview with Matchsticks and Gasoline. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical. Hello, I'm Nilay Patel, the editor-in-chief of The Verge and host of Decoder, a business podcast where I interview CEOs about big ideas, the problems that come from those ideas, and how they make decisions. It is also surprisingly about org charts. It comes up a lot. We're launching a new limited series that we're calling the Centennial Series, where I talk to CEOs of companies that are over 100 years old, like Xerox, Barnes & Noble, and more. There's no 100-year-old company that's without its struggles, and it's been fascinating to talk to these CEOs about which parts of these companies' history are important and which parts they can let go. A little spoiler for you, if a company is over 100 years old, there's a lot of drama to talk about. It's been a good time. You can listen to the Centennial series right in the Decoder feed. New episodes of Decoder are out on Tuesday, and the Centennial series is out on Thursdays. Check it out. We think you're really going to like it. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we are back. I am joined by Michael from Matchsticks and Gasoline. He covers the Calgary Flames uh, for our sister SB Nation blog there. Thanks for joining us. We really appreciate it. No problem. I'm happy to be here. So I've been saying that the Flames are perhaps the most interesting team of the offseason. Uh, it was quite a roller coaster for you guys. So What's what's the vibe check there in Calgary? How are Flames fans feeling about the offseason, and what are the expectations for this season coming up? Well, yeah, first of all, the vibe check, it's it's been a whirlwind. That's all I'm going to say, really. <laughs> it's just right from the start, you know, Gaudreau leaving, Kachuk leaving, it looked like this team was heading for a rebuild. Things were falling apart. They were just coming off of losing to the Oilers in the playoffs. So, like, things were just at an all-time low there, and then – I don't know, kind of as things started to turn back, um, people are getting really excited for the season now. Like, they brought in Jonathan Huberto, which they thought yeah. was never going to happen. <laughs> and then throw in Mackenzie Weger and then Nazem Kadri, a little bit on a left field, kind of a couple, just over a couple weeks ago now, like late later in the summer. It's, uh, I would almost say there's a sense of excitement in the same way, like, you kind of get that same excitement for a team that maybe just came out of a rebuild. Like, you don't know what their next step's going to be, just because although they have a lot of pieces coming back, like, it's really the first time we're going to see a new kind of core in Calgary. And I think a lot of fans are really excited about that. Yeah. You've got a lot of new pieces. And you're not sure exactly how they'll fit in with everything. I, I get that. So, you know, it's usually it's, it's a complete disaster. If you lose two 100 point forwards, like Goudreau and Kachuk, do you think that Bradshaw living did a good enough job replacing those guys? Well, I think, given like what he was dealt this summer I think he did the best job he was going to be able to do just given what he was facing like for me the fact that he brought in Huberto alone like I know there's a hole with his extension that's going to kick in after this year Mm -hmm. there's a lot of worry with that but 
when you bring in a guy who also had 115 points last season, just like Gaudreau, like even though you're losing Kachuk, like basically to do what he did with the with the cards he got dealt, like, I I think the city's pretty much over the moon with him right now. And it was actually really interesting because uh, we we ran a poll. I think it was the day after Kachuk announced he wanted out, and he was well over 50 percent of people wanted him fired, but. <laughs> Couple weeks later, after it all kind of everything settled with Kadri, he's now at like the ninety-five percent uh, approval rating among the fans again. So, I think everyone's behind him right now. Obviously, this is kind. Of, he's been a while here for a while now since twenty fourteen. So, he's getting kind of ready for maybe his last kick at the can, or at least for the fans, they kind of feel that way. But for given the cards again, he was dealt. Like I think he's bought himself at least a few years to kind of see what he can do here. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned that he's been there since 2014, so that's kind of a similar time frame to Yarmo Kekalainen here in Columbus, and this reminds me a lot of the offseason that Columbus had in 2019, where we lost Panarin and Bobrovsky and Duchesne, and, you know, there was a lot of debate as to, you know, is this a time to maybe tear things down further, or do you try to find some way to replace them? And he sort of went more with just internal options. He only added... Uh, Gus Nyquist from outside, but kind of just trust the players that we had. Um, were any of you guys thinking that maybe the Flames should have started a teardown with those players leaving, or are you are you fine with going with a reload? And I think sort of going for a short-term window here, because, you know, I could see some hesitation with the term for Huberto and Kadri, but for the next two or three years, those guys should still be pretty good. You think it's worth kind of going all in on this window? Well, for a lot of people, myself included, I think the biggest fear in Calgary was that they were going to kind of just walk the middle as they've done in a lot of past off seasons. And that's probably your worst choice out of all three. Um, right. We've seen them like in other years, they kind of really haven't got out and gotten the big names, but they've also said they've tried to contend. They've kind of not swung on big trades and kind of just been like, we'll keep the young guys, but then they missed out on the one name that everyone still talks about here is Mark Stone back in 2019 when they were making their playoff run, they decided to pass on trading for him and that's all gone hell. So (laughs) really to see like, to see them actually kind of just buckle down and choose a stance. Like I really didn't envy the position they were in because on one hand, like it was really easy to see how a teardown could be possible. Like they didn't have a lot mm. of guys like Blake Coleman was really the only guy and Markstrom were the only two guys signed really past the next two years with any kind of term and uh contract length. So it would have been really easy to see them do a teardown. They got guys like Chris Tanneth, Michael Backlund, who are a bit older. You could probably get pretty good returns on like they could have easily yeah. torn down, but at the same time, like I said, they have Markstrom, they have Daryl Sutter, who's definitely not here for a rebuild. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that they chose that we're still going to be good, but without really panicking, like I think, I think people are just happy to see that they stuck to it. And honestly, going forward here now, I think there's a lot of people legitimately talking about if the Flames are going to come out ahead of this off season. And I don't think it's that crazy of a question, even though, like you said, losing two hundred point guys would usually uh, be it for most teams. Yeah. So uh, the Flames won the Pacific Division last year based on. Uh, what they've done in the offseason based on what the other teams in the division have done. Uh, do you think that they'll be able to repeat as champions or how do you think the Pacific is going to shake out there at the top of the division? Yeah, the Pacific kind of kind of like last year, I think it's going to be messy. I think Vegas, we're going to see take a step back. I think it's really just going to be a, between the two Alberta teams. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, I think 
this team has been a lot more constructed for this year, at least to, to do better in the playoffs. Like if they win the division again, that'll be great. Yeah. But it really feels like it's going to be a Sutter team even more so than last year <laughs> that even if they finish second or third in the division, they're going to be a tough out for whoever they play. And then as you know, playoffs, you get hot at the right time. You get some saves, like you, you can make a run out of it and that's what they're going to need. But I, I don't know. I think I could very easily see them winning the division. Like, I don't think there's another shoe in team that's definitely going to be there. Like the Oilers are probably going to be good. They get the best two players in the world that we get to right. see way too many times a year. <laughs> and then right behind them, like there's kind of a mushy middle this year. Like Vegas, I think is taking a step back, especially without Robin Lehner. I think the Canucks will be better, but then you kind of get to California. The Kings are starting to kind of turn it around after their little rebuild, but then you got the Sharks and Seattle who are kind of falling behind and the Ducks, I think, are still another year away. So if you're the Flames, kind of to get back to what we talked about before, like if you're going to go for it, this is still a good time to go for it because barring anything crazy, you should be pretty comfortable getting a top three spot in that division. And I think it's well within the realm of possibility that they win it again this year too. Yeah, and I think too many GMs are too conservative and they end up getting caught in that middle. So I definitely feel like you can't, you know, you can't guarantee anything for the future. So if you've got, you know, some good players in there and you have the chance to get out, get some other good players, like strike while the iron's hot for sure. And as you said, you know, the Oilers have those great players. And so, you know, you got to find a way to, to, you know, stay competitive with them, hang with them, be able to, to take them down if you meet them in the playoffs again. So I totally agree with that. So moving on now to um, the players that Columbus signed from Calgary this summer, um, first, I'm going to start with the really controversial one. Um, there's been a lot of uh, gnashing of teeth about the Eric Goodbranson contract uh, here on this podcast and on our site all summer. Um, so I wanted to to get more information about him and maybe a more nuanced approach because um, I know the the Matchsticks and Gasoline Twitter account said some pretty positive things uh, after we signed him. Uh, what what positive things? does Eric Branson bring to the table uh, as a player and as a person? Yeah. So I would probably preface this all by saying we had a lot of the same reaction when the flame <laughs> signed him late last summer, although luckily it was kind of just a one year deal thing. Right. But I think to Eric Branson's credit, he really came in this year and really gelled well with the flames. He, uh, he fit really well in that bottom pair. He provided that grit, but he also just, um, for a guy who's been pretty shellacked analytically his whole career, like yeah. his numbers were quite a bit better. And I think, I think the thing that helped, whether this was the flames or the coaches or him himself was that they didn't really play him over his head too much, which also I think has a lot to do with the flames. We're pretty lucky with injuries throughout the year, but I don't know if Branson, you're going to get a guy who's going to put his body on the line every night for the team. Like he was a very good penalty killer with the mm-hmm. flames last year. Um, he was one of the guys that pretty much every every night you knew what for the most part you're gonna get from him. Like he's he wasn't gonna wow you too much, but he wasn't gonna completely like screw the team over and be a pylon mm-hmm. out there, which we've we had seen in, with other teams in his career. But for whatever reason, last year him and Nikita Zadorov, who's also a guy who was pretty widely panned before he got here, they kind of came in together and threw. Uh, I would say a decent third pairing with, but with their size, it worked really well for Daryl Sutter. And yeah, given the fears that Flames fans had about him when they brought him in, like he, he completely surpassed our expectations. And I mean, good on him for getting that contract. I am pretty glad the Flames didn't <laughs> sign it, but 
at the same time, I think he will bring certain aspects to a team that is kind of looking to kind of just solidify things, be a bit stronger defensively. And like I said, you know what you're going to get every night for him. So especially if you have a few younger guys in the lineup, like I think it's a good rock to have back there too. Yeah. So uh, how, how much of his success this year do you think was based on Daryl Sutter's system? I would say like, it was a very interesting year for the Flames in that all six defensemen actually had career highs in uh, points last year, which I know points mm-hmm. isn't everything for defensemen, but all six guys cracking their career highs was something. Um, I would say it was a decent amount. Daryl Sutter, of course, we don't really have the before and after Daryl Sutter right. with the Flames, so maybe it was just a Flames thing. Maybe he just prepared differently, but... No, I think when that contract was signed, there was a lot of us saying, like, I hope Daryl Sutter is getting his 10% commission on it because I really think his style did a lot to kind of lend itself to what good Branson does best. So heading into Columbus now, I think it's going to be important that they kind of look at the way Sutter used him and then try and mirror that as well. Because uh, as we've seen in the past with other teams, when he's been relied on a bit too much, it it goes downhill pretty quickly. His numbers kind of before Calgary, the last few teams he was with were pretty ugly. So it's it's a risky signing but if you use him well i think like i said he's a stable guy so yeah i could certainly see him being useful as a bottom pair guy i just don't like giving a bottom pair guy that that kind of money and that kind of term that that was my big issue with it the term especially because we have enough younger defensive prospects coming up that will be here before that four years is up so then you know what's the point of still having him under yeah. contract. So um, one of my one of my other writers had a good question here related to that, which is what aspects of his game, if any, do you think might age well if, you know, down the line to years three and four of that contract? What could he still be good at at that point? Um, I would probably, I think I'd just lean again on the penalty killing. Like, I think mm-hmm. that was one thing that, we didn't really know what to expect of him coming into last year, but he kind of just slid in there and he was, he was just very good at kind of breaking up plays, getting the puck out, um, kind of doing all the things you expect. I think that's one thing that you won't see him lose as much. Um, he, like I said, he does play a physical game and there's lots of different opinions on when guys who play that physical kind of hockey start to break down. But yeah, I would say for the most part, just kind of watching his special teams play, um, I would say that's probably the most likely approach. It's it's hard in that he's kind of I I would almost say like an unremarkable player in that like mm-hmm. a lot of nights you didn't notice him, but our kind of sight opinion was if you're not noticing your bottom pair too much, that means they're probably doing they're having a good enough night. So Yeah. I totally agree with that. Absolutely. Absolutely, for sure. All right. So now let's talk about the uh the star player uh that came from Calgary to Columbus. Um Leading up to the start of free agency, um, before Goudreau had made his decision, um, did you think that he was going to stay with Calgary, or did you think he was going to leave? What sort of percentage did you put on that? It was actually, uh, it was quite the time, and just that Mm -hmm. between us and what just even the local radio was doing here, like every day people were throwing out their numbers and (laughs) with no rhyme or reason, some days people were feeling like 75 stay next day. It was 25 stay. Like it was kind of all over the map. Um, Right. I don't, it was a tough situation to read in that you kind of, we kind of always got the same, like 
like he he enjoys Calgary, he wants to stay kind of vibe. And right. I genuinely think that was the case that he was considering it right till the end. But at the same time, kind of as the season dragged on, we were kind of just at least for me, I came to a point, I think I wrote an article about where it's like, let's just shut up about the contract for the rest of the season. Just enjoy him having the best season of his career, being a superstar in the NHL. And I don't know. I think there was a point where we kind of accepted that he may be leaving, but really, I don't think it hit a lot of people, myself included fully until they came out that night before free agency and they had their, yeah, he's going to be gone press conference. So like that hit a lot of people hard kind of, because it did really feel like in the Flames even said they, like, they were negotiating with him right up to that 11th hour. So I don't think they would have done that if they didn't genuinely think they had a good chance to bring him back. And as a result, the fans felt the same way. So right. that was a pretty uh, painful kind of 12 to 24 hour window there. Yep. And it certainly, yeah, in Columbus, we've been through that with some players yeah. in the past as well. How surprised were you that he picked Columbus? Oh, extremely surprised. Like... It, it was interesting watching that day, kind of knowing he wasn't coming back. So the next question was like, where are you, where is he going to go? I know everyone drew the comparison or the lines to Philly or New Jersey, mm-hmm. but of course, Philadelphia is so horribly mismanaged that <laughs> yeah. I, I genuinely still believe that if they had made the space for him, he would have gone there first. Oh, yeah, but 100%. Yeah. Thank goodness they thought, let's not make the space for a 115 <laughs> point generational talent, but oh well. <laughs> the hometown kid, yeah. <laughs> Like it, it, it just that was shocking to me on its own like hand that Philadelphia didn't even try. Like you're yeah. telling me somebody couldn't have like taken a JVR contract off him for nothing or so yeah, that was the big shock, I think, after once we accepted that he was leaving, that it kind of trickled up that Columbus was suddenly in the running and then that mm-hmm. he was going there. Um I know a lot of people off the hop felt kinda like it was a slap in the face where it was like, Okay, you want to go home to like Philly or New Jersey, but you chose Columbus and I think that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way, kind of off the hop, that Columbus isn't exactly close to home. I know it's a lot closer than Calgary, but I think kind of as things kind of wore on, he did his apology video and everything. That was, people have kind of eased up on it a bit, but I know there was like quite, there's probably a few days there where, first of all, it was shocking that it was Columbus because it's, like it or not, it's never been a huge market in terms of attracting big names, guys. Like, I'm I'm sure you guys were kind of as stunned as everyone else was. For yeah, a we were. There. Honestly, we were. Yeah. Like, it, it's it's one of those things that, like, I'm honestly very happy for you guys that, like, because we're kind of in a similar, like, small-ish market team. Yeah. You know, like, it's nice to see us respectfully land big fish when the time comes. And I think he's going to fit in really well there. But, yeah, there was a lot of people for that first day or two feeling like it was just a backside to the Flames. And, of course, there's been a lot of things that have come out since then about whether he came back and tried to renegotiate with the Flames, if the Flames, what the offers were on the table, how much money was left on the table. But at the end of the day, I, I think it's I think it's going to be a move that's going to be good for him. And I think Flames fans have come to peace with it. So I, I'm personally wishing him all the best. Like they, He's always been like a standout guy. His family, I'm not sure if you guys have seen yet, but his family is very nice. They interact with us all the time on Twitter and stuff. Oh, cool. So. I think he's going to be a great fit for you guys. And honestly, I'm wishing for the best for him. He's he's always been that underdog guy, the small guy throughout his career. And he took a lot of crap from Flames fans over the years just because he was small, even though he was putting up ridiculous totals. So I don't know. We're really happy, I think, to see him get his, get his payday with Columbus. We wish it was here. I think even with how everything turned out this offseason, I think there's not many fans who are happy to see him not on the Flames anymore. Yeah. And what do... 
what do you think about the Blue Jackets? What do other Flames fans think about the Blue Jackets? How do you guys see the Jackets um, at this point on the rebuild? How how soon do you guys think that Columbus will be to being a contending team? What's kind of the outside perception of of where the Jackets are at, especially now that they've added Goudreau? Yeah, personally, um, yeah, Columbus was one of those teams, like, kind of as they've been rebuilding, they kind of fell under the radar for us at West. We only play you guys mm-hmm. twice a year, right. but kind of look at their roster. Like, I really like Cole Sillinger. I think mm-hmm. he's going to be a really good fit on that in that top six. Um, Kent Johnson, he's just, he looks like he's going to be the next stud there, too. Like, oh, yeah. We are very jealous on that front. Um, I'm still really pissed off about Sillinger because the Flames, like, looked like they are going to be all over him. You guys <laughs> took him one spot before the Flames. Like, we were all keyed up that we were going to get Cole Sillinger. Yeah. And you'll, you'll, oh, that's that's still one thing that bugs me to this day. But um, overall, I, I think Columbus is probably still a year away. But, like, I'm kind of looking at the Metro, and I think Pittsburgh's, although we've been saying it for a while, is getting ready right. for their decline. I think Washington at some point starting to slow down. Like, I think yep. there's a legitimate opportunity to kind of jump in here. Like, I think the timing's going to work well on that front. Um but no, just to see them uh, land a top talent, I think that's going to go a long way too in enticing other guys to sign there. Um, yeah. No, I, I think Columbus, I would still give them maybe one more year, but as an outsider who is very not up to speed on right. them, just to see the pieces they have kind of right now. Obviously, Patrick Line too. Like, I think he's, especially this year, I think we're going to see him hit a level we really haven't seen probably since his Winnipeg days. So yeah. I, I would put them like... I think they just missed out this year but i think at, i don't think they're far off whatsoever from becoming at least a playoff team maybe the year after and then maybe even pushing kind of middle to top of the conference after that like i think there's a lot of potential with the blue jackets kind of as they kind of round out with some younger pieces yeah that that sounds about right to me so i'm glad to hear that uh, the outside view is similar um so about goudreau specifically in his game obviously we know all about the points that he put up we see the highlight videos of what he can do with the puck um but, you know, we've heard a lot about his game described that he's a, you know, he's a full 200 foot forward. You know, how how much of that is is accurate uh, and what is it about his game that is makes him successful outside of the offensive zone? Well, the, th- the thing with Gaudreau is that I think a lot of this development came under Daryl Sutter, too, mm-hmm. when he joined halfway through the previous season. Um, that was a really interesting thing on its own in, in that everyone kind of thought, all right, well, this was going to be it for Goudreau after Sutter joined just because they thought their styles would never mesh. But really to see the way that Sutter and kind of his style meshed with Goudreau, and that's when Goudreau really became a 200-foot player. Like before then, he was always okay in the defensive zone. Mm -hmm. But he just, he became a lot um, smarter in the defensive zone last year. Like he was a lot more involved in kind of taking the right position to shut things down. Um he seemed just a lot more active in that zone last year and kind of leading the breakouts. Um, yeah. making the, He's always had a good first pass, but I thought especially last year, he did a really good job of like making those t- tougher passes too in the breakouts. And again, what I think it's easy to point to Sutter as a good chunk. I think a lot of it will stick with him into Columbus too, which is probably, which is good for them obviously, but yeah, I, I, I was just really impressed with how much he just seemed, I don't even want to say smarter was the right word, but he just seemed much more engaged. And I think that's something he's going to carry with him, especially like, I know it's, it's going to be a bit of a stylistic change, but like it, he, he was making plays that he wasn't making before Daryl Sutter. 
Yeah. But at the same time, I don't think these are plays that now that he's not under Daryl Sutter, I don't think it's just going to go out the other ear. Like, I think it's going to be stuff that sticks with him. And we all know about his speed, his hands. Like, he can create something out of nothing, even with plays that start behind his net in the D zone. Like, it's going to be... I think you guys are going to have a lot of fun watching him do uh, some of his crazy things this year. Yeah, it sounds very similar to the impact that John Tortorella had on Cam Atkinson, who's another speedy, undersized Boston College forward. Um, And, you know, I think he continued to play in Philadelphia like he had in Columbus. Um, So you mentioned the breakouts there. So would you say that Goudreau is more of the passer out of the breakouts rather than the leaker? I would say, like, uh, yes, Goudreau's very interesting in that, um, I don't know, it was one of my favorite things whenever I watched him play, especially live, Mm -hmm. was every now and then, whether it was five on five or on the power play, he just, he'd wind up in the D zone and walk through the entire team into the offensive zone, (laughs) and just the buzz that the Saldone came with when he was doing that, like, I think that's one thing you guys are going to love, and I'm going to miss a lot, but... (laughs) Yeah, no, I would say the one thing is that he, he is, despite his size, I know everyone thinks, oh, small guy, he's going to get hit if he tries to come in the zone. I think his entire time in Calgary, his only uh, injury was from taking 21 slashes in a game against Minnesota. Like, other than that, yeah. he was healthy throughout his entire time in Calgary, even though being a smaller guy, he took a few hits every now and then. But he was the guy, I think, that often just kind of, he he would carry it into the zone and make a nice passing play to get things set up. And but the same at the same time, he was also passing into the zone. It was, I would really say he kind of does a bit of everything with these zone entries. And mm-hmm. I think that's what made him so dangerous, especially last year, is that you a lot of teams seemed kind of stuck between defending Goudreau individually or defending the passing lanes. And a lot of the time you have to choose one or the other. And I think that's how the Flames got a lot of their chances, even though they weren't quite as much a rush team last year as they were in previous years. Yeah, also that, and that's what I'm really excited about too, is that he seems like the kind of playmaker that he can facilitate a sniper like line a, but if you try to defend line a, then, you know, Goudreau is more than capable of putting into the net himself. So uh, it's kind of a tough choice as to which side of that do you defend uh, and he can make you pay either way, which is really, really exciting. So um, anything else uh, about Goudreau or Goodbranson that we need to know? Um, Just, just treat him well. We're going to miss him <laughs> here. Honestly, like it's, I think a lot of people are, like I said earlier, I think a lot of people are past kind of the anger that he left. And honestly, like, he he, he was so much fun to watch here. I think you guys are really going to enjoy that. And I I honestly hope he he has some success and uh, takes you guys deeper into the playoffs. And I don't know, I could get behind a Calgary-Columbus Cup one day. I don't know about you guys, but uh, let's, let's that, do it. That that would be awesome. I You know, Calgary was, was my pick at the start of the playoffs to win the Cup. I really love uh, Daryl Sutter's system. Uh, I thought you guys were going to go go really far there, so uh, I certainly wouldn't mind seeing that uh, come to pass this season. So, uh, Michael, again, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and uh, best of luck in the upcoming season. Thank you. For more content from The Canon, go to jacketscanon.com. You can also follow The Canon on Facebook and on Twitter at CBJCanon. If you like this podcast, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and be sure to subscribe on Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Our theme music is the song Green Eyes by Angela Perley and the Howlin' Moons. Go to AngelaPerley.com for more music and show dates.